Welcome to this niche audio cast. I'm Angela Brown, manager of B2B brand strategy, and today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen to it on the go. You can find all of the resources that are mentioned here in the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. All right, folks, it is 2.01, so let's go ahead and jump in. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Angela Brown, the manager of B2B Brand Strategy at Niche. And in this session, I'm going to go over some of our recent data that looks at what we've heard from families this year, school search trends, and some enrollment performance trends that we heard about from boarding schools in the last year. So first, before we get started, a bit of housekeeping. This is being recorded per usual, and the recording will be around midday tomorrow. A podcast version will also be available in the Enrollment Insights podcast feed. At the end, I will cover the one question that um, I pulled in advance. There were a few others that I tried to weave the answers to into the presentation. Um, so the one that I'm going to cover. There were also a couple questions about international markets. And I want to add the disclaimer that while we do have quite a few international families represented on our platform, there weren't that many that took our parents. And so our parent survey data does not reflect that. But if you're looking to dig into more international information, reach out to me later and I can work with you on that. Finally, um, I'll take the other questions that come in live at the end. And if you have a question about grades, rankings, or your niche account specifically, go ahead and connect with me offline so that we can cover those. Now, here's a quick look at our agenda. We're going to start with highlights from the market. We're going to dig into boarding schools specifically. That is why you're here. And we're going to talk about how you can connect the dots with the data that you have here and other sources of data at your disposal. So a quick look at niche data in general, we kind of cover three buckets, so to speak, or three tiers of data. In this session, we're going to focus on two, but internally, we believe it's really important to understand and use data across all three levels to get to the real value, which are insights to help you to do your jobs better, make decisions, develop strategies. So starting with our high-level market data, this is just keeping an eye on what's going on. So you want to know what's happening in the world around us, what's changing, to be able to appropriately respond and build products and features to help the students, families, and schools who use our platform. The market data, just given the volume of users that we have on the platform, we're able to generate some pretty unique data, signals and insights that inform our work internally and also help you. And then we have your personalized data. All of your schools are represented on the platform. We can look at signals that are generated from parents and provide some unique data and insights about your school specifically through our monthly insights reports. So now let's get into our high-level market data. Starting with, there will be lots of charts from Google Trends. <laughs> this is one of my favorite tools for getting a high-level view of relative search term popularity over time. So if you have not used this tool in the past, if you're not familiar with it, definitely check it out. Very useful. You can also narrow things down by specific time frames, state, metro area. There's lots of goodies in there for you when you're trying to get a feel for 
keyword, you know, search volume and just overall behavioral trends that are happening in Google search specifically. So here we're looking at changes in search volume for the term private schools. Um, January of 2020, just as the pandemic was ramping up through December 31st of 2023. And it's been pretty consistent with the exception of the winter holidays which is pretty typical. And usually around the 4th of July, we see a similar pattern on our platform. And the reason why we're taking this approach is that I think it's helpful to see how things are going among private and independent schools broadly, and then digging into your specific segment. We're also going to look at what this translates into for boarding schools in a bit. And then if we look just at 2023, this is very stable with the exception of the natural dip that we tend to see in the summer during the, and during the winter holidays. I also wanted to do a callback to our state of enrollment and marketing survey that we ran in 2023. This is from the private and independent school specific survey. We see that inquiry performance, about 50% of schools saw an increase in inquiries year over year. 14% had fewer and 35% were pretty flat. When we look at applications, 48% had more, so families were continuing through the process for the most part. 22% had fewer and 30% were relatively flat. I also just wanna mention that about 27% of schools reported that they achieved their goals for newly enrolled students by June 1st of 2023. That's kind of our baseline. Um, date that we use to standardize things. We did have some schools that said, well, my contract uh, binding date hasn't passed yet. Some that had not only achieved their enrollment goals, but were completely full. They had no more space. Um, and then we had 30% of schools that said that they did not achieve their enrollment goals um, by June 1st. So about a third of respondents. And that percentage of schools that had achieved their enrollment by that standard June 1st date, we've actually seen that decline every year since 2021. So it's something that we keep an eye on. I'm very curious to see what happens with this when we run the survey this summer. And that's probably why enrollment priorities look the way that they do for, for this year. So retention and increasing overall enrollment were the top priorities for schools across the private and independent school spectrum. We also see student and parent experience rounding out the top three. That actually rose quite a bit from the previous year. And I think it's just because of the impact that institutions know that that plays in that first one. And if you're thinking about a flywheel sort of model where your current families fuel through word of mouth and their experiences, your new enrollment, then it really has an impact on the top two. Now, this graphic at the top, we're gonna to talk a little bit about some challenges that we're seeing. This represents search volume for public versus private schools, which is pretty consistent as you can see, but there's that interesting spike in the summer of 2022. My theory there is that a lot of parents who had chosen private schools to survive pandemic closures were wondering if they might be able to save a little money going into the next year. So makes a lot of sense. And when we double click on the regions where this phrase was the most popular, we see that in many cases it's in states with fairly high tuition, which I will get to on the next slide because price sensitivity is something that we're actually seeing increase across the board in both our K-12 side of the business and the higher ed side of the business. I wanna start with competition. It's very real. For the first time in 2023, we asked just how many schools families were considering. We wanted to quantify that. And so 64% of parents considered three or more schools in the search and comparison process. 
23%, nearly a quarter, considered five or more. Now, for the second one, um, actually, it, this, was, this was kind of interesting. Um, in all three of these areas, we saw some slight shifts when we zoomed in on boarding school. So actually, I'm going to go back for a second to this fourth, this first one. It's actually closer to 70% of families who considered three or more schools, 40% for boarding schools considered five or more. So families who are considering boarding schools, that, that short list that we talk about is actually a bit longer than it is for families who are looking at other school types. Then we, when we get into tuition costs, this was the first time that we saw some signals that families are starting to be a little bit more reluctant to spend high amounts of money on tuition. Now, what high means, of course, depends on the family, but 20% of families that were surveyed removed schools from consideration due to lack of financial aid. And this was something where this was another new question we wanted to know. We're asking a lot of questions about either moving forward with schools. We also want to know why they're taking things off the list. And we saw that financial aid is a pretty big consideration. That figure actually jumps to 32% for families who chose boarding schools. So affordability is a very big factor. And typically, as we know, boarding schools tend to be a little higher when it comes to, um, to cost from a tuition standpoint. So definitely something to keep in mind, be aware of. And then when we look at this third one, um, tuition cost increased as an important deciding factor for the schools that families ultimately chose. So one of the questions that we ask is, what are the important deciding factors that you look at um, when you're finally making a decision? We saw that we went from 51% of families that, that said that this was an important deciding factor in 2022 to 60% in 2023. This is actually one that was spot on for boarding school families. So they were right at that 60% as well. But that's that's a lot of families. You know, it's more considerably more than half who once it comes down to crunch time, to decision time, they're they're really thinking about the cost and how they can make that work in their budgets. In addition to financial aid, we had these other factors that caused parents to remove schools from consideration as they're moving through the process. And this is another interesting one where boarding school families um, kind of deviated a little bit from the norm. So the factors on the right were pretty consistent for boarding school families, but instead of the biggest factor being difficulty finding or negative feedback from, other, from current parents, the biggest factor for families who chose boarding schools at 32% was actually the financial aid piece. So again, we're seeing that increased price sensitivity. And I think the biggest takeaway there is just to make sure that you have a lot of transparency around cost. This is something that we're recommending across the business, both in higher ed and K-12, since we're seeing this, this is a challenge. And typically when I look at affordability pages for institutions, the financial aid information is kind of neglected. You know, it's, yes, we offer it. Here's the percentage of students who receive it. But the more detail that you can provide to a family so that they can determine relatively early in the process whether or not this is something that might be doable for them, the better. So now we're going to look at this chart is interesting. We actually, for the first time this year, we've always had this information, but we want to actually visualize the delta between what 
families considered and what they ultimately chose. Now, the one disclaimer that I will add is that boarding schools are not represented in this chart just because we had such a small um, subset of families who evaluated boarding schools and ultimately chose boarding schools. These represent the school types that were just the most popular and had the highest level of both interest and selection. Um, and so when we look across school categories, the interesting thing here is that in general, consideration is much higher than choice, but boarding schools are actually an exception. And so when we drilled down to boarding schools, 90% of parents who chose boarding schools considered boarding schools. So it's a much, much narrower gap than in other categories. We also saw, this is just interesting to know where some of these families are coming from. When we looked at families who chose boarding schools for the 2023-24 pandemic year, 34% of them came from public schools, but 29% came from other boarding schools. So this is one of those interesting segments where we see a lot of families who are boarding school families, and they're just moving from one to another for various reasons. But then there's also quite a few who are moving from public school and, and choosing boarding as an option. So this is something that we all know, digital trends are always changing. And while I would not advocate for shiny object syndrome, um, it is important to stay on top of broader trends that are happening and some generational shifts that might be occurring that could impact your strategy when it comes to digital marketing. And this is an interesting one. It shows search volume for Facebook specifically over time, again, looking at Google Trends data. But when we dig into our data on how parents are engaging with schools, we see a slightly different story more broadly. So 21% of all of the parents surveyed in our parent survey last year said that Facebook groups were their preferred online tools for comparing schools. Um, Facebook groups were also the most influential social media channel, followed by organic Facebook posts, Instagram, and YouTube. And this is another area where we saw boarding school families deviate from the crowd um, when, it, when it came to the way that they're engaging with Facebook. Only 5% said that Facebook groups were a preferred tool. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, a lot of these groups are very, they're hyper local. And with a boarding school, in many cases, you have families who are looking to actually board their students and have them reside on campus. And so it makes complete sense that there's a little bit of a different behavior there. Um, the preferred tool was actually Google reviews and search at 34% and then local blogs and online forums. So I think starting to dig into local blogs where around where certain institutions are based and online forums that are boarding school specific, just to do a little bit more of that research. And then from a social media engagement standpoint, Instagram was the most popular channel boarding school families at 47% versus the 22 that we see here followed by YouTube at 26%, and then Facebook organic posts were at 21%. So a couple of takeaways here. One, just given the nature of the boarding school experience, you know, they're considering institutions that are not close to home. They're not right in their backyard. They don't have that easy access to pop in. Um, so they're much more reliant on channels like an Instagram that provides a lot more of that day in the life kind of content. And with YouTube, I think YouTube in general is a sleeper. You know, when we look at 
the use of YouTube in the school search process among both parents and students, we've continued to see that grow over the last two years. And I think that's only going to continue. So as you're thinking about your social media strategy specifically, YouTube is a channel that you might want to consider adding to your toolkit if you have the bandwidth to do so. And here, just double clicking on Instagram and YouTube, we're looking at search volumes for those channels since they rounded out the top three for influencing enrollment decisions among parents more broadly. You can see that there's more stability here too in terms of use. These are younger channels, uh, more or less. I mean, YouTube's kind of old school, but it's really shaken up the way that it approaches content. Lots of schools are on Instagram and TikTok at this point, but again, YouTube really become an emerging channel for both parent and student engagement in the future. And then finally, of course, I have to include a little bit of information about niche because our data actually reflects what we see in this chart. So this is looking at search volume for niche.com specifically over the same time period. It's that um, January of 2020 through you know, about the end of 2023. And this does represent a cross-section of audiences for both higher ed and K-12, but our parent survey data reinforces what we see here. So Google search, word of mouth, and school search and review platforms were the top discovery sources for K-12 families in 2023. It was the same in 2022, and we also found that this was consistent for boarding school families. 79% of families who took the survey said that search and review platforms were their preferred online research tool for comparing schools. So that was number one. That actually jumps up to 84% for boarding school families. So again, they're really even more investing in that online research because they can't always just hop in the car and, and get to campus easily. And then 68% of families said that reviews from other parents on school search and review platforms influence their decisions. Not only is that a seven percentage point increase from 2022, but it was almost spot on school families at 66%. And now we're going to zoom in even more on boarding schools. Um, bringing it back to Google search trends with boarding schools at the top and private schools at the bottom, just so you can see that kind of one-to-one -one comparison. And you can see that search volume has been pretty similar pre and post pandemic. When we look just at 2023, again, with boarding schools at the top, we see a little bit more of a difference. The summer drop is a little shallower for private school search compared to boarding schools, but the rebound in search volume is more even going into the academic year. But all in all, if there are any, you know, wonderings about whether or not there are some differences in search volume um, when you're comparing yourself to the wider private and independent school landscape, we're not seeing a huge gap there from a search volume standpoint. I also want to just say out loud, because I think it's important that I focus on private schools for these comparisons and these charts instead of independent schools, because we're still finding that when parents are searching for schools, independent schools is still very much an inside baseball kind of term. And so private schools tend to tends to be the most typical phrase that they're using. Now, this is a look at one of our market reports, and this is specific to the boarding nationwide, but we also offer reports that are market specific, gender specific on narrower timeframes. This is all of 2023, but 
There's there's a lot of different data points that you can get from our market reports. And this looks at traffic across the platform. If you're not familiar with these or would like to take a deeper look at one, definitely connect with me offline if that's something that you're interested in. Um, the full market report would also have an area on the right side that shows a list of boarding schools um, in ranked order based on traffic. So it can be kind of helpful for some benchmarking. Um, but this hits on the highlights in terms of overall traffic, which we see on the right, domestic versus international, dates for search volume, metros, and top international markets. The um, Whether you're a partner or not, there is a lot of information for you to dig into as you're thinking about own profile traffic, where the bulk of our traffic is coming from at any given point in time. And if you want to lean into some specific markets or pull back from others, it's a small piece of the puzzle to go back to the earlier slides where we're talking about layering data. It's something that can be really helpful. So earlier we looked at enrollment performance among all of the private and independent school professionals who took our state of enrollment marketing survey. And now we're going to dig into what we heard from boarding schools. So starting with this first stat, um, looking at inquiries, 55% of boarding schools compared to 50% more broadly reported that they had more inquiries. For fewer inquiries, it was 17% compared to 14% more broadly. So a little bit more there, but not far off. And then 28% of boarding schools reported flat, relatively flat within 10% inquiry, uh, inquiries um, year over year compared to 35% of all schools in the survey. And then looking at applications, we had 49% of boarding schools who said they had more applications. That's super close to the 48% um, in the broader market that had more 19% had fewer versus 22% of all private and independent schools who took the survey. So some good news there. And then 32% of boarding schools reported relatively flat application volume compared to 30% of all private and independent schools. So again, really close. Earlier, I mentioned that 27% of private and independent schools that took the survey reported that they achieved their goals for newly enrolled students by June 1st of 2023, while 30% did not. Among boarding schools, 34% achieved their goals, but 38% did not. So both of those figures are actually higher among boarding schools. And then rounding things out with priorities and looking at what boarding schools have been focused on in the last year, 54% said increasing overall locations, 51% said retention, and 47% said increasing overall enrollment. Um, it was slightly different with um, the, I think it was, gosh, retention, increasing enrollment, and student and parent experience. Those were the top three <laughs> for, for the broader survey. I did think that it was interesting that student and parent experience was quite a bit lower among boarding schools compared to the broader private and independent school category, since it's such a big component of retention, which is right there in the middle. Um, but that was at 37% for boarding schools compared to 43. So definitely something to think about with these, with these other areas that are big priorities. Student and parent experience definitely feeds into that, especially student experience for your for your borders. Um, now, this is a question that came up in the um, registration pre-event question list. And 
So I wanted to focus on what boarding school families were looking for when they went through the search process. We have data on what families were looking for more broadly available on the blog if you want to check out the parent survey there. But this is a different list from what we saw in the broader survey. And again, I think it just points to the fact that the boarding school experience is a very different experience. You know, having your child living on campus is a very different experience from the day school experience. And so um, top of mind, people wanted boarding schools. So 92% of families who considered boarding schools, that was their area of focus. They said the school type is important. I am only interested in a boarding school. Um, sense of community was 84%. No surprise there. Everyone wants their child to feel like they belong and that they have a, a community of like-minded people around them where they can grow. Campus safety was actually number one across the full survey. It was third for boarding school families, but that's not a surprise um, across the board. Campus safety is something that's very top of mind for families from pre-K to 12, boarding, public, day, you name it. It's something that's very top of mind for, for families in the U.S. especially. A strong college list. So there was a much bigger focus on college matriculation among boarding school families than others. Um, they wanted that strong college list. They wanted the solid college counseling services. Um, small class sizes popped up across the board. That's not necessarily um, a huge surprise. We've been hearing that for a while. And then social, emotional support and development, also super important. You know, these families want to make sure that if they are sending their child off to live on campus at an institution, that they're going to be supported holistically and not just academically. That's what we all want, but it's especially important if you're sending your child away. And then looking at the communications tools that boarding school families shared influenced their decisions. This is a very similar list um, to what we saw with the broader survey, but with a heavier emphasis on social media. So websites are always going to be important. It's your front door. It's that, um, you know, it's that first sort of taste. It's the appetizer for the full meal to get a sense for what your community is like. Um, once they get past Google search and platforms like ours, that's the immediate next step. That's always going to be important. School visits, even despite the potential distance, continues to be very, very important. Um, school's presence on search and review platforms, we saw that. Social posts, emails from the schools, and then um, quite a bit further down, we had brochures and view books, but that's still a factor. Um, and again, I think this just, it, it's one of those things where it's helpful to have those multiple layers of data. That's why we're doing these segmented webinars now with our parent survey and state of enrollment marketing survey, where you want to give you an opportunity to figure out what does all of that mean for me? The other thing that I want to mention, and you in, a, in italics at the bottom is that we also asked a new question this year about the first point of contact that families took with the schools that they considered because we wanted to know, you know, is it an inquiry form? Is it picking up the phone, sending an email? You know, what should we advise our schools to do or to focus on as they're thinking about engaging with families? And in the broader survey, um, attending a campus event, an enrollment-specific event, was actually the top first point of contact. But with families who chose boarding schools, it there was actually quite a bit more interest in submitting an online inquiry, followed by attending an enrollment event. And so 
tells us is, again, we see that little change in behavior based on distance, but still don't be surprised if you have families that arrive on campus who you haven't heard from yet. And you'll want to have, you know, different approach to engaging with those families when they show up for events. So when it comes to connecting the dots between all of this data and um, the other data <laughs> that you might have at your disposal from your website, from other vendors, from lots of other places, this is sort of a philosophy that we have internally, starting with the fact that data is a foundation for storytelling. So one of the things that I actually found to be very helpful when I was in-house and even now when I'm designing surveys is to think about what is the story that I want to tell and then working backwards from there. So what are the data points or the pieces of advice that I want to be able to give to a school about parent and student engagement and then designing my questions for there. For you, it might be, you know, trying to figure out how to answer specific questions for a board report or determine whether or not you should make changes to your budget. But it's really, whether it's an internal story or an external story, you want to think about, you know, What's the story that I want to tell with this data? It's also like a map for opportunities and insights, and it can change. Sometimes it can change a lot. And that is why we are very committed to providing you with actionable data every single year through our surveys in some ways more frequently than that. That's where things like the monthly insights reports come into play, the market reports that we do. But Having been in-house in the past um, and just seeing how the market has changed in the nearly three years that I've been at Niche, I think it's really important to have that constant um, data fuel, if you will, to help you make decisions and um, and determine how to move forward. So here are some idea starters. You know, something that I hear a lot is, this is all great, but what do I do with it? So here are a few things to think about. Identifying new markets is one. Um, travel planning is another, as you're thinking about where you want to go. Those two go hand in hand. Competitor benchmarking, always helpful. Third-party data, I know how useful it can be to have third-party information when you're trying to make the case for something, when you're trying to inform strategy, when you're doing other forms of communications with internal stakeholders. That's a big one. I mentioned budget planning and reallocation. And this last one is my personal favorite because I, I know that you all have way too many things to do. And so if there is a world where this information can help you remove some things off of your list. We are happy to help you do that. And now I'm going to do my one question that was submitted in advance. And bear with me, it's a little sticky. There we go, there we go. All right, so this is from Allison. And Allison asked the right question. What are best practices to increase the quality of applicants and not just quantity? And I say this is the, the right question because with everything that we've said about inquiry and application volume, ultimately you want to make sure that you're getting the right folks in the door, right? And I, I think this really comes down to a combination of very strong targeted marketing, branding, and messaging. Um, a mantra that I use quite a bit is to be clear is to be kind. I did not make that up. That came from someone else, but it's something I believe in quite a bit. 
And the clearer you are about your institutional identity and the students that you serve best, the better it is on both sides. And I think you can be really explicit about that. What's the profile of the student who really thrives in your community? And what do their stories look like? If you have not done persona development already, I strongly recommend it because it paints a really clear picture of who specifically you're targeting, um, what they care about, and how to connect with them. I would do them for parents. I would do them for students. I would do them for faculty. Um, there are a lot of different personas that you can develop as you're thinking about how you engage with different constituencies, donors. Um, the flip side is something that can be a little scary, not just for schools, but for organizations of every kind. And that is to be clearer about who you can't serve and who won't do as well in your community. It's a but the easier that you can make it for a student or a parent to say, yes, this looks like the right place or um, to remove you from the list, the better it is. But you really actually do need both. Okay, so now we're going to get to live questions. Bear with me for a second. Okay. Okay, this is a question on tracking data on public boarding schools in the US. That is a really good question. Um, I don't know the answer offhand. But I believe, based on the way that we have schools categorized on the website, boarding schools covers all boarding and day schools, not just private and independent. But I, I need to double check that and get back to you. So I will absolutely look into that. I'm writing your name down too, so I can just confirm. Okay. What else do we have in the chat elsewhere? Okay, so this question says, in a previous slide, it said a lack of ability to find reviews or negative reviews leads families not to pursue a school. I'm confused about how not being able to find, oh no, that, I apologize, that's, that's, that means that I was unclear. Um, what that really means is if a family sees a lot of negative reviews or they can't find any, those are the things that would cause them to say, ooh, I probably don't want to do that. It's a great question, though.
Oh, this is a great one. Do you have any recommendations on how to get more parents to submit reviews on Niche? Yes, <laughs> I have a lot actually. I even have a, a blog post that I can send you. Um, actually, I'll make sure we include it, making a note here um, in our follow-up that you receive tomorrow. But the headline is one of the easiest ways to do it is to do periodic review campaigns. That's one of the recommendations that we typically make. That's something that I definitely did in my previous life. Um, the beginning of the year and the spring can be great times to do it. At the start of the year, everybody's happy. No one got in a bad report card or had an unpleasant experience with a faculty member. Um, and the spring is, is nice because things are kind of wrapping up and that tends to be a natural time for gathering feedback. A lot of schools do their parent surveys at that time. Um, and so I, a lot of the time you can just ask. I have heard from some schools that have sent out a broad email to everyone um, that works in some communities. It doesn't work in all communities. Um, I, I know that in a boarding school setting that might actually be one of the better approaches because you may not have as much of an active on-campus um, parent volunteer community, but starting with parents who are already very engaged with the school, you know, working really closely with your folks in the development office to determine who some of those families might be, you know, remotely that you can tap into for um, support with reviews and just having a very clear message, being very specific. They need to know the why, you know, supporting us with reviews actually helps other families like yours discover us and learn more about us. Um, being very clear about where to leave those reviews so they don't have to dig it up. So niche, boarding school review, um, et cetera, you know, give them, give them specific direction about where to go because then they're more likely, the easier it is for them, the more likely they are to do it. Even um, just some tips, what, what makes a good review. It doesn't need to be super long. Focus on, you know, an experience that you had or that your, that your child had. Um, so those are a few things that you can do. Um, we actually have a sample review request email template that I can also share as one of the resources after the event. But um, lots and lots of, of recommendations there and happy to chat offline about it too. Okay, let's see. Okay, a couple questions in the chat. Um, how do we increase the number of students coming from Europe or South America? Patricia, I think we could have a whole separate session about that, <laughs> but I am happy to um, to connect with you offline about that and dig into that a little bit more. Um, this next question from Catherine, what is the role of virtual events? How important are virtual events um, such as virtual open houses versus in-person open houses? I did not dig into that. Um, for the purposes of this session, but we do have that data. I would have to go back and look um, to tell you specifically how much of an impact those events made on boarding school families versus the broader population. I do remember that when I was processing the data from the broader 
number of parents who completed the survey, virtual events were not that much of an impact um, to the extent that I don't even know that we included that as an option in the state of enrollment marketing survey when we asked about tactics. Um, but I'm happy to take a look at that and share that with you. I'm adding it to my notes. Okay, I think we have time for one or two more. Oh, yes, I may have missed this, but could you please share your blog about obtaining more parent reviews? Yes, no, I will include it among the resources that go out in the follow-up, so not a problem. Okay, this is a great question too. If a strong college list is something that boarding school families prioritize, how do you recommend we pull in reviews of community attending slash graduates of high level institutions, or is there a better way to share this data with families? So there are a couple ways to do it. I don't know that typically when families are looking at reviews, they wanna know more about what is it actually like to attend an institution. So I wouldn't bury that information there. Um, I think the standard, you know, college matriculation list that's updated every year that um, a lot of schools have on their websites absolutely works. Some schools on their home pages have, you know, that list of of logos along, you know, the 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 bottom that shows where students typically matriculate. Um, that is definitely a strategy. And then storytelling, you know alumni stories in your magazine, if you have one, on your social channels. I'm a big advocate of storytelling. It's actually one of the recommendations slash predictions that I hope for in the predictions post that I did um, earlier this year, but telling their stories, so, because I think it's important not just to highlight, like the list is nice. It's nice to have that list of great schools, but what are they doing at those institutions and how did your school prepare them to thrive there? they're only going to get to that with storytelling. And so it's a, it's a, a two-pronged approach. Yes, you wanna make the list available, um, but also having stories that focus on your alumni and what they're doing and um, you know the experiences that they're having in these institutions, I think is really important. But I also, I wouldn't over-index on that because you don't wanna run the risk of alienating the families and the students where you know, an Ivy League institution, for example, is not in the cards for them. You know, we know how selective those institutions are, and that's only increasing. And so you definitely want to strike a balance, but storytelling is, is very, very important. Okay, this is a complex question, and I'll try to address it as best as I can. This will be our last one, because I think it will take me about three minutes <laughs> to cover. Do you have any thoughts on how to balance the need to not outprice your school with tuition increases when the flip side of not keeping up with general market increases, other similar schools, can potentially, this just moved, um, signal a lack of value? Asking in particular, since there seems to be an uptick in affordability as a major consideration for families. Yeah. Or is the answer to be as effective as possible with also marketing the availability of financial aid. So I think it's it's a couple of things. Uh, 
One is, I because this is this is an ongoing conversation. I remember having these conversations when when I was on the other side, of, and and even to the extent that when we shared, and this is actually, this is something you can certainly do if you're not doing it already. I do think it's helpful for current families when you are sharing information about tuition increases to provide context. Um, if you're looking for something that's more of an average or a mean, NIS has really great data on that that they produce every year. If you just want to pull your more direct peer schools and and show where you are relative to that. I think that can also be helpful. Um, but for new families coming in, I think part of it is absolutely clarity, clarity, clarity around financial aid. There was a great video that I saw on LinkedIn recently. Um, I'll try to find it so I can include it among the resources post event, but. It was one of the most well-executed videos that I have seen um, about financial aid. And it was it was storytelling about financial aid where it didn't focus on a specific population. It wasn't, it was very clear. Um, but they really drilled down into not just here's the percentage of students who get financial aid, but this is the highest income level, you know, of a family who typically because that that those are the types of questions, right? You can still be a family with a high household income on paper, but by the time you factor in the cost of living and all of your other expenses, it can still be a squeeze, you know, to come up with full tuition for one student, let alone multiple, if you have multiple children. So providing a little bit more context around, um, you know, I think the question they're always looking to answer is, can my family afford this? You know, and that general X percent of families receive financial aid figure does not answer that question. So the more that you can do to answer that question or to at least get them to, is it even worth it for me to apply? Um, because I will tell you what we're seeing on the higher ed side is that there's a pretty high percentage of students. I think it's up to 89% with the class of 2024, where as they're looking at colleges, if they don't think they can afford it, they're not even applying. And so that is something that, you know, it, when we go back to families removing schools from their lists because of affordability, I think the clearer you can be about how realistic it is for them to expect financial aid, what you don't want is to get that family that continues through the process and then they get their award letter and they're disappointed and can't move forward. So it, it is a combination of both providing context, um, really leaning into value. That's a big piece that I think all schools that charge tuition really need to think about is it's an investment, right? You know, and that's the other thing. You're competing with other financial investments that these families are thinking about making. So really leaning in that investment language, um, value, providing that perspective and clarity around financial aid availability so they, they can answer early on, like, is this even a possibility for us? Should we even think about this institution? That was a lot. Um, but I think I got to just about everyone. Um, there was one that I didn't get to, but my contact information is on 
the screen. So if I could not get to your question, <laughs> please, please, please send me an email. I'd love to connect with you if there's something that you want to dig into more or something that I couldn't answer here. Um, but otherwise, I am so glad that you joined us and I look forward to seeing you at our next event and hopefully at our virtual summit, which we just launched registration for, and that will be happening on April 18th. Thank you.